Hello and welcome to this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab. In this week's episode, Jordan Spieth suffers an injury on the eve of the PGA Championship. Roy McIlroy speaks and then goes silent. We finally had a designated dud at the Wells Fargo Championship and the Live Players lash out at the USJ and the DP World Tour. Rex, let's first start with the semi-breaking news. Nice flex on the Pebble Beach mug there. On Monday night, Jordan Spieth tweeted, Rex, and he had to withdraw from this week's Byron Nelson because of, quote, severe pain in his left wrist that he experienced at home after missing the cut at Quail Hollow. I must admit, it was a strange miscut at Quail Hollow. Second round 77 when he'd been in top form previously, and now this. It doesn't just cost him a start in his hometown event in Dallas, but he said that he is, quote, week to week, and obviously that is ominous. Uh, with the PJ on deck next week at Oak Hill. What is your immediate reaction to Mr. Spieth? It was such a Jordan two days before he missed the cut because there was, there was highlights. I mean, he was making birdies. He was playing good golf at times. And then he just would just play such awful golf. He would just get sideways. I walked the final couple holes with him on Thursday thinking, oh, he's going to finish strong. And uh, there was just some things we wanted to talk about. Put two balls in the water, was never in position, just made a mess, made a, a triple at the last. And that was kind of the testament to the week. I mean, that was the snapshot that you go back to. And now you're right. In retrospect, I'm curious, was the, how much was the wrist an issue going into that? Because he had played really well up to that point. I, I would say my level of concern is low right now. Like if oh, we get to the point. He he's week to week. The tournament's and, and next that, week. And that's not great. And, and you're absolutely right. Anytime a, a golfer starts dealing with a wrist injury, I would argue right after a back injury, that's the most concerning. This is one start. It's a very important start. But it's a non-designated event. I know it's in his hometown of Dallas. If he does miss the PGA, this is going to be a different conversation. Then there's going to be a level of concern. Because here's a player that's, by and large, avoided the types of injuries that can get you sideways. And I'll, I'll go straight to Will Zalatoris. I talked with Josh Gregory over the weekend at Quail Hollow. And he hasn't even started his rehab. I think he's going to start his rehab today or tomorrow sometime this week after back surgery. And they're still looking at him maybe returning in the fall. But for a player... To have to do that, to have to go on the shelf for that long, you get an idea of how debilitating it could be. Right now, uh, if you if you wanted me to gauge it on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm going to put it at a solid 5. If he's not at Oak Hill next week for the PGA, that goes up to an 8 or a 9. Oh, boy, yeah. I think, I think I'm like a 15 at this point. That, that news uh, hit, hit, hit very hard on Monday. The reason uh, that I have uh, such pessimism about this is left wrist is, is no joke. I mean, left wrist injuries have derailed players' careers. Severe pain uh, is obviously an indication. He didn't just say discomfort. He didn't just say minor pain. He didn't just say nagging pain. He said severe pain. Uh, so that obviously uh, triggers some alarm bells for me. And, and I think the bigger issue, Rex, is when he says week to week, like you could miss some time in October. You could miss some time in January, this is a really bad time to suffer an injury, not just with the PGA Championship next week, but the U.S. Open after that, then the Open Championship, then the Phoenix Cup playoffs, and then the Ryder Cup after that. This is not the sort of thing that you can play your way through. You really have to let it rest and heal. And so uh, I do have a lot of concern. As it relates to Jordan Spieth, boy, I, I mean, the timing could not be worse. He's played some really great golf this spring. You think back to... Phoenix, Bay Hill, he had a chance. Tampa, he had a chance. Uh, the Masters played well there. Lost in the playoff at Harbortown. Like, 
the PJ Championship has not been particularly kind to Jordan Spieth, particularly when he's had a chance now to complete the career Grand Slam. Uh, he hasn't finished better uh, than 30th uh, over his last three tries. Like this was his gonna, this was gonna be his best chance uh, to complete the career Grand Slam since he's at least had the opportunity to do so uh, back uh, in 2017. And so that part stinks. Uh, I'd be I'd be really surprised given the message that he tapped out on Monday night if he is actually going to play at Oak Hill. The rough is going to be very thick. It's going to be very juicy. That's not where you necessarily uh, want to be hacking it out of. So I, th- I find it I find it very disappointing playing the best golf he's been played uh, since 2017. So that's kind of where my head is at with Jordan Spieth. That was certainly a surprising revelation. I think it makes Scotty Scheffler even a more prohibitive favorite this week at the Nelson. Uh, no, I would agree with that. I would be curious. I just had to look up your text yesterday when, when the news of Jordan came out. And it's just it's one word and emoji. It's just speed and a very sad face emoji. When you, when you first got the news, I mean, did, did it literally take the wind out of you? Or did you put your head in your hands? Were you just oh, there was definitely, no, there was definitely, definitely expletives. That's definitely expletives. People like, but I, but I think, what, what I think, matter? Jordan, what I think oh, it, okay. it eliminates one of the, you know, predominant, prevailing storylines next week at the PGA championship. I, I really think it's highly unlikely that he is going to play uh, in the year's second major, uh, unfortunately, but just the way that he was playing heading into it, the opportunity that uh, the historic opportunity that presented itself next week. Uh, that's certainly very disappointing. You, you were Rex uh, in Charlotte at the Wells Fargo championship at quell hollow. You did not go to this Roy McElroy, uh, uh, promotional event on Tuesday night. I was with you. Speak. And I know. Taxi with Dennis. I know. Yeah. So he did. He did speak to a handful of reporters. Uh, you were briefed on what Rory said. What were the interactions like with Rory for the rest of the week? Because uh, hearing his comments, reading his comments, it's, it seemed like he just needed a mental break. He didn't make excuses. He didn't. So he had an injury. He didn't say there was some sort of family emergency. He said he was basically just wiped out from what has been a tumultuous past year in the world of golf. What were your interactions? I'm curious uh, now that we see Roy 2.0 in the year 2023. Uh, it was a weird week for Rory, but it's been a, a weird couple of weeks. And that Tuesday night, I actually got the transcript. And you, when you read back through it, if you read between the lines, Roy almost leaves some sort of ambiguity out there that, well, you know, the commissioner knows why I, I skipped it. And so it's kind of up to him at this point, which I think led a lot of people who were there that Tuesday night to believe that maybe he did not have to forfeit that last 25% of his PIP $3 million, which is a very expensive mental health week. If you ask me, maybe that's not that big of a deal for Roy McElroy. but then the next day, the commissioner, Jay Monahan came in the press center at Quail Hollow. We all had a chance to talk to him. There was no ambiguity when we asked the commissioner about it. He said that he knew the rules, and he knew exactly what was going to happen if he missed his second uh, designated event. He, had, of course, skipped the first one of the year at the Century Tournament of Champions. And then it just got even more and more strange. He did talk to the media on Thursday after his round. And he actually seemed upbeat. He seemed sort of his normal self. He's comfortable. He loves Quill. It was his birthday. Said, it was his birthday. Uh, all the things. You know, I wrote a, a column because, like, you're in the bag for Jordan. I'm in the bag for Rory. So there was some optimism. I think he shot 68 on Thursday seemed to be heading in the wrong direction. Did not talk to the media the rest of the week, even Sunday when, when we did request him and, and he did not want to talk. When you look at the idea, how much he has actually struggled since the masters and maybe even before that, of course, you know, he, he finished third 
at the match play in his first start. But if you just look at his stroke play starts going into the Masters, there is something that's missing specifically, statistically. If I, you know, I kind of broke it down. It's his iron play. I mean, his driving still seems to be okay, not his dominant self, but really his iron play has been going in the wrong direction. And that was certainly the case at Quail Hollow, which is not a very good sign going into the PGA Championship where you would think he'd be among the favorites. I just think he's still not in a good headspace. And this goes back to the Masters. I think we talked about it. I mean, all the physical tools are there. Like, if you look at his results, you looked at the way he was swinging the golf club, it looked at all the statistics that matter at the Masters. It seemed like, oh, he should be an easy favorite going into the Masters. He's finally going to get it done. Wasn't even close. Misses the cut. I think mentally he's still having a hard time getting over that. Yeah, there's so much to unpack when it comes to Roy McIlroy. And you mentioned his performance last week at the Wells Fargo, like 50-second strokes gain to degree. When's the last time you saw uh, Roy McIlroy uh, towards the back of the pack uh, when it relates uh, to ball striking? I guess that was somewhat predictable, right? Like he took three weeks off after the Masters tournament, did not pick up a club uh, for two of them. As, when, you, when you go back to Tuesday in the comments and he left sort of some ambiguity whether he was going to be uh, docked that additional $3 million, like – I was a little surprised that Commissioner Jay Monahan took the stance that he did. Like, with with so much emphasis now on athletes' mental health, and Rory saying that he needed a break, that the the toll had really um, uh, ca- caught up to him. Are we really discouraging players from taking time for themselves? Like, I think that's a very odd precedent to set and particularly when it comes to Roy McIlroy like he was so front-facing he was the de facto spokesman for the PJ Tour like Jay Monahan was intimately aware of the burden that Roy McIlroy has assumed for the past year and for Roy to say yeah you, you know this is all caught up to me and I'm pretty wiped out and for the that hard line uh to to stand I thought that was a little bit odd uh, particularly when it when it comes to to an athlete's mental health I don't know if he had another choice I get what you're saying and I certainly think that the commissioner went out of his way, sort of explained that it, clearly Rory needed this time off and that we hope that he was able to get refreshed. And when he comes back, he, he pointed out that I think it was like an eight-hour board meeting that he had to suffer through on Monday before Bay Hill. And then he went on to, to contend at Bay Hill. And we all kind of marveled at that. Like, how, how's he able to maintain this pace on both sides, both on the course and off the course? He's sort of, as you pointed out, the face of the PGA Tour and the split with Liv Goff, all of those things. But in this particular case, and I'll go back to when this news first kind of surfaced, the PGA Tour, at least people inside Ponte Beach Beach, they don't talk about fines. Now, they wanted to couch this and say, look, he's just forfeiting that $3 million. This is not a fine. It's not a penalty. It's not a penalty. It's not a penalty. This is just the His way the rules. bonus is just being reduced. This is the way the rules are written. I can tell you that I had multiple sources inside Ponte Beach who were willing to confirm that, yes, he has forfeited that $3 million. That doesn't happen normally. I have pretty good now, sources. I think, now, I think – I can understand well, there's a reason from the, why. From the, from the tour perspective, they want it to be a yes. deterrent. Otherwise, well, exactly. Rom and Scotty and Cantlay and Xander and all the and, rest and and even are going to say, you know what, I want time off. Yes, exactly. They cannot have in this particular situation. Because I can tell you there's an undercurrent on the PGA Tour of people who have probably heard enough from Rory at this point. There are players who kind of roll their eyes. Now, whenever they hear Rory say something about Liv Goff, about where the tour is going, they, they feel like that maybe he is overstepped. I don't particularly agree with that idea. I feel like he sort of slid into a leadership role that needed to be slid into. However, in this particular case, if they did not, let's say the commissioner did go the route you're suggesting, did say, look, mental health is important. This is Mental Health Awareness Month. 
We all we talked about Aaron Wise, who missed the Masters because he just needed time away from golf. This is an important conversation, just not in golf, but in the sports world. He couldn't do that, though, because if he says that we're going to let him off the hook, he, he needs this time away. You're going to have a lot of players come at the tour and come at Rory saying that you're the one that wanted this. It was you and Tiger Woods who created this system, this designated event sort of reality that we're in right now. And now you're going to take advantage of the rules that you created. I, I don't think he could do that. I, I just don't see, think that's possible. I, I certainly understand that. My counter would be next year they're doing away with this penalty. So True. like, why not just throw your hands up and say, you, you, you know what, I understand it. I, I think I was more put off by, by the lack of empathy that – that Monahan's public statement. Oh, was. he had empathy. No, 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 no. When he it, spoke it wasn't the, like, hey, I, under, I understand the burden that he has assumed. We're incredibly grateful for the time and the sacrifice that he's put into remaking, like literally remaking the PGA Tour on, on the fly. However, rules are rules. He understood. No, that was there. I mean, you just didn't either. You didn't read it. I mean, obviously you weren't there to hear the conversation, but there was empathy. I mean, I think. Jay realizes the ally he has in Roy McIlroy. Between he and Tiger Woods, that's the, the greatest asset, I would argue, that the commissioner has at the moment. And he also realizes the sacrifice that Rory has made. I, I, don't, I, I think you're, you're misreading this, I, or maybe you didn't read enough into it, to be quite frank. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, um, I will say this, though, and you brought up a really, really good point, because I asked the commissioner point blank. You did point out. So next year, these are not mandatory. And you have – there was a lot of conversation last week about – these are really, really big bills now for corporate sponsors to take on. If you're going to be a designated event, you're talking about in the neighborhood of each year, a 23 to $25 million hit. I mean, that is a lot of money, even for a corporation, let's say like a Wells Fargo to sign off on. So now you're asking them to pay that much more money and you cannot guarantee the fields. That's the problem with this. Now, the commissioner said that he feels like between the elevated FedEx Cup points that are available at these events, 700 versus 500 to the winner of a regular event between the large purses, $20 million average between the idea that the top players want to go head to head against the top players. Like this is what they crave. This is what they want. They feel like that all of those things are going to be enough to compel the players participation at these events. I don't know. I think last week was a very interesting tell going forward that yes, by and large, you're going to get the top players at these events. But at Wells Fargo, you were missing four out of the top ten. Now, to be fair, one of those players is hurt in one place for live golf. However, you're still missing missing some top players. Of all the elevated events that have full fields that were played this year, Wells Fargo had the worst field rating when it comes to the world ranking. I think that should be a bigger concern than anything Rory did or did not do. Yeah, we talked about that last week on the podcast. I think it's a miscalculation to not have some sort of mandatory requirement. I, I do not believe that having designated events uh, immediately following a major championship is going to work out. Uh, I, I'm very curious to see, Rex, particularly with the Travelers Championship, the, the cross-country flight from L.A., to Connecticut that's going to have to take place uh, in a month's time ahead of what is a very busy stretch overseas FedEx Cup playoffs and then the Ryder Cup. Are we going to see players like Roy McIlroy did forfeit at least some of their PIP bonus to get a much so get some much needed R and R before a very critical uh, part of the schedule? I think that's the kind of the remaining question of this designated event model. I think it's been a smashing success. I don't think um, I, I don't think that can be overstated enough you've had yeah. john rom you've had scotty scheffler um you've you've had 
uh, sort of these breakout stars, whether it's Kurt Kitayama or now Wyndham Clark. Like uh, 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 Wyndham Clark obviously turned Sunday into a snoozer. Uh, and I understand that this was kind of the first dud of the designated event year. I think that that overlooks just how well he played. Like he gained more than 19 strokes on the field. Like it was an, it was a sublime performance. And obviously he had some things working in his favor, right? Like John Rahman, Scotty Scheffler uh, were not there. Roy McIlroy did not play particularly well. Patrick Cantley in his first start with Joe LaCava did not play well. Xander Shoffley turned what was a one shot lead with 11 holes to play uh, into a four shot loss. Like there was some things that worked in Wyndham Clark's favor, but to, to discount this as, as the one week where a top 50 player did not win a designated tournament, uh, I think kind of overlooks Wyndham Clark's brilliance and what was a breakout performance for him. Well, and I wrote Sunday night, and, and I did push back at the idea, and I think you said it right at the top of the podcast, about the idea that this was a dud. I, I don't agree with that. And look, we're halfway through this season. It was a dud season. because of the excitement level, not because of the performance. I mean, I don't know if, if that's really a, a fair – conversation because you have a player as you pointed out that's outside the top 50 that less than a year ago talked about the idea that he was going to quit the game because it just wasn't there for them we, we've had a conversation about mental health awareness I think Wyndham Clark is a perfect example of someone who in this particular case found a way to be mentally stronger and to allow that mental strength to match what was clearly some very very good physical gifts that we saw on display on a really hard golf course against a really good field he lapped a designated field by four strokes I don't think that's a dud. I think that's part of the beauty of what the designated events should be going forward. That, yes, we're going to have Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm. They won five of the nine designated events that have been played this year. But I think you also need a mix of the Kirk Kitayamas and certainly the Wyndham Clarks because you can't have a one-way system. That's That's been the concern all along. Will there be enough access for these non-stars, these players who are outside the top whatever on the PIP, to be able to play their way on. And once they get into these designated events, will they be able to perform? I think Wyndham's a perfect example of that. Uh, I would agree with that. And when you look at the tournaments that we've had in this designated model, even, even when it was a Kurt Kitayama or it was a Sam Burns or it was a Matt Fitzpatrick, or now in this case, Wyndham Clark, like you're still having the very best players on the PJ tour factoring into the drama, right? Like I think of Bay Hill and, and Kurt Kitayama won. He was 46th in the world, I believe at the time, but like Jordan Spieth, Roy McIlroy, Scotty Scheffler were all vying for the title. And it was Kitayama who emerged. In this case, you had Xander Shoffley, the world number five, uh, who was in the final group uh, and just got out Like that's, that's the kind of dichotomy you want to have at, at Phoenix. I think back to, to Scotty Scheffler, who's going head to head against Nick Taylor. Like you have to have, kind of that haves and have nots or kind of the disparity in classes or statuses, uh, I think to make it compelling. Everyone would obviously love Rory to be taking on Rom and Scotty and Jordan and JT and, and the like every single time these guys teed up. The, the reality is that the PJ tour is so deep and so strong that you're not going to get that. I, I think the next best case scenario is to have what we had at Wells Fargo when you had Wyndham Clark, versus Sanders Softly, see who goes to goes head to head uh, and see uh, who can prevail in that situation. And I think the bigger concern more so than the fields and maybe and again, I want 
the occasional Wyndham Clark and Kitayama to step up and to give us something else to write about, to give us some, to give fans another reason to cheer. The bigger concern going forward, and again, the commissioner talked about this on Wednesday, is the idea of just limited fields. If, if that was a 70 to 80 man field last week, I'm not quite sure Wyndham Clark would have even been in the field, although he had been playing well coming in. So in theory, he, he would have gone through whatever one of these swings looks like. And, and we can talk more about that later. But that's my bigger concern going forward. If if the commissioner made it clear, even though Tiger Woods has pushed back on the idea of all of the designated events being limited fields, Jack Nicklaus has pushed back on the idea. The commissioner made it clear on Wednesday that 78 players is about it. I understand the concept. If you're going to ask, a I understand for why 20, the tour would do 23 it. to 25 million dollars. Then it's, you're going to have to guarantee that they're around. I, I, I think it's, it's silly. WGC I thought see lights. Uh, I, you know, and I think I think it was Adam Scott who said it. He was asked about just the idea. Do you want them to be cuts or no cuts? And he kind of laughed at the idea. And he goes, trust me when I tell you the top players, Rory, Jordan, John Rom, Scotty Scheffler, they're not sitting around worrying about missing the cut. Top players don't worry about that. They don't want to create a system that, okay, it guarantees me four days. They have no interest in that. What they have an interest in is playing against the top players week in and week out and performing their best. This is more motivated 100% by the tour, by corporate sponsors, and I would argue by the television. Yeah, the broadcast partners. They're going to push for this as well. I I think that's a concern going forward, more so than anything of your occasional Wyndham Clark. Uh, yeah. Which, by and the like, way, the media center last week was named after our friend Ron Green Jr. and his dad Senior, which was very cool. Oh, that is very cool. A PJ Lifetime Achievement Award winner, Ron Green Jr. and Fred. Of- and then he asked me on Sunday, Rex, do you know where the interview room is? And I said, Ron, it's your media center. Like, are you really going to – you really don't know? Like, is that really <laughs> just, happening? Just, just throwing him under the bus. <laughs> Love you, Jr. Uh, Rex, what was your take on Patrick Cantley, week one – with Joe LaCava on the bag. I, we kind of talked about it last week on the podcast. This says more about Cantlay and LaCava than to me it does Tiger Woods. To me, it suggests that Patrick Cantlay, for all of his successes, the eight PJ Tour wins, uh, the player of the year season in 2021, he still felt like something was missing inside the ropes that could help him access another level. To me, it said that Joe LaCava at this point in his career is not content just you know, competing four to six times a year with Tiger Woods whenever he is fit and healthy enough uh, to, to, to play. He wants to – he kind of misses the weekly grind. He misses uh, being in the mix. And I think Patrick Cantlay, uh, though their personalities, I think, are quite uh, different, uh, he certainly is going to provide an opportunity for 10, a dozen times a year uh, to really get in the thick of, of competition. So he is certainly going to scratch that itch. Um, I'm, I'm just curious to see how it goes because week one was not – necessarily an indication i think of of what these two are looking at uh i don't remember exactly what i said last week because again we we're in a cab and dennis was talking a lot he seemed to really want to get on the mic he had dennis, dennis had some takes about tiger he said he called uh, him overweight i th- i think i uh, bad news i think i left my, my palmetto my favorite palmetto hat in dennis's cab so it, the week was a bit of a tragedy on that i point. left my mac adapter in dennis's in, the, in dennis's cab in dennis's cab i mean yeah. god the guy's just the guy's just mopping up he needs, he needs us to roll through with the $300 uh, fare. Uh, and if I'm too. being honest, I felt like Dennis's take on Tiger Woods being fat was a little reckless. A little reckless. Uh, must, it was first time on a podcast. It must have got a little trigger happy. It uh, happens. Happens to the best of us. He had some thoughts. 
so I don't know if I said that. I will, I, but I've kind of come to the idea over the last week uh, watching Joe uh, with Patrick more so than anything of everything that's happened to Tiger Woods over the last few years, whether if it's the back surgery or the horrific car crash or the most recent ankle surgery. This one concerns me the most because I don't know if Tiger gives Joe his blessing. And I think we can all sort of assume here that Tiger gave Joe his blessing to go work full time with Patrick Cantley. I don't know yeah, if not he does give that. Patrick Cantley his blessing because. Patrick well, Chris Pat didn't, didn't call him. Uh, I'm not. I'm not quite sure what the protocol is on that one. Um, it, it is that is a little weird given the relationships at that level of the game. However, in this particular case, it and I hate reading between the tea leaves, but for him to let Joe go, and Joe's been such a huge part of his career, his life, the last ten years on the PGA Tour, coming back, winning the Masters, coming back, winning Zozo, everything. Joe was there. He's he's part of the background now. Uh, that that concerns me a little bit. I'm not saying that Tiger Woods is ready to retire. I'm not saying that he's done playing golf, but that one more so than anything that's ever happened concerns me. I don't know because like there's really little reason for Tiger to retain a caddy who is as sought after as Joe LaCava when his future is so uncertain. He's like, done it at, for a at, decade. Why now all of a sudden change your mind? Because at most, Tiger realizes, understands, acknowledges that he is going to be playing at most 16 to 20 rounds, rounds a year. We're not talking wow. tournaments. Patrick Cantley is playing 20, at least 20 tournaments a year. Patrick, Tiger Woods is playing 20 rounds at maximum. But that's been the case for at least five of the last years that he's been with Tiger. I don't know if that's any different than what we thought going in. Right, and so Joe LaCava clearly wants to work more than that. Like clearly, that's not satisfying. I think Joe's always he clearly has more than that. Yeah, but like he's he has he so has. You're a lot saying to this offer. is Joe's idea. Still feeling that's fresh. what you're yes. contending. You're yes. saying Joe. Joe did this that. is absolutely Joe's idea that I want to get uh, back inside the ropes a little bit more. I, I'm not. I'm know. not content it, working three tournaments a year. And it does go with an interesting trend that I pointed out. I mean, you have Paul Tesori going to a younger bag, leaving Webb Simpson. You have James Edmondson going to a younger bag, leaving Brian Palmer. It seems to be a trend that the younger players have recognized the idea that a veteran caddy can make a huge difference. I think Bo Mackay ending up on JT's bag is another really, really good example. So I get it from Patrick Cantley's point of view. Like Joe's experienced. I, I don't need, you know, this is exactly what I need. Now I need someone on the bag who can kind of keep me calm and knows every golf course in and out. I, I don't know if, if Joe would have initiated this. I think he is, we both know Joe a little bit. And he's wildly loyal more than anything else. So I would have been surprised if it was Joe that said. My understanding is Pat just reached out to Joe randomly and it just made a phone call and, hey, bud, got any interest? And so maybe that started the conversation, but I don't think Joe initiated it. Uh, no, I don't think Joe initiated it. It sounded like Patrick Cantley reached out and then Joe then relayed that message to Tiger and they kind of hashed it out. At least that's uh, kind of what I was reading uh, through, the, through the transcript. I also think Tiger, like at this point in his career, he he can he can manage with a part-time caddy of his choosing. Obviously, his right-hand man, Rob McNamara, uh, makes the most sense. A former college player uh, himself knows Tiger's game arguably better than Joe LaCava um, from all the time they spent in South Florida together. I, I, and I, I do want to say this to go back to your original point, though. And, and I actually quoted the line that you got from Matt Minister in your story. A really, really good story from a few years ago on Patrick Cantlay. But I, you, you'd used it a couple times on the podcast. So I was sort of writing about that dynamic between Pat and Joey. And I went back to Minister's quote from your story. That is, he's all business, essentially. I mean, you'll, you'll do it better than me. But it's there is no, I think, no grab-assing out there. I didn't want to use it on the podcast. It's a family podcast. Sorry. Um, but that's not Joe. 
I mean, we've all sat and listened to Joe and, and Tiger go at it on the golf course. This is a lot of talk about sports, about the New York Giants, about the Los Angeles Dodgers. I mean, these are two sports nerds, more even more so than maybe than golf nerds. I don't get the impression that that's Pat. I don't see them having that same, like, I think Joe's going to have to feel this one out and decide exactly what level of, let, let's say, grab ass he's going to be comfortable with. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I think, I think, player caddy dynamics are hard to are, are, are hard to gauge like you, you you wouldn't necessarily match personalities sometimes if they're if they're too alike they they butt heads if they're too dissimilar it doesn't work either so I, I don't I don't know how it's going to work but I do think from Pat like Cantley's perspective he he clearly must have said that something is missing that he believes can help him access another level if that's Joe LaCava uh great uh, I think there's Probably. just a tinge of sadness uh for me thinking that the, the Tiger LaCava uh run is over they were they've they've been through some wars right like the the injuries the inspiring comebacks uh all of it uh it certainly has been a memorable run between these two players rex i wish this was more of a visual medium or at least i knew how to under how to how to incorporate these sort of things on our stream yard feed but it was a very uh contentious week as it typically is on social media for phil mickelson phil mickelson Oof. Woof. has rediscovered his voice on social media after being named and shamed uh, basically over the past year. If you have missed it, Taylor Gooch, Phil Mickelson, and a bunch of Live supporters are whining about Taylor Gooch being kept out of next month's U.S. Open. I would counter with this, Rex, that this has been telegraphed all along if the Live guys had been paying attention. I want to read a quote from Mike Wan, the CEO of the USJ, that he gave ahead of the 2022 US Open at the Country Club when he expressed disapproval for the ongoing division in the game and said this in regard to future qualification for Lib members. This is, again, read? ahead of the 2022 US Open. Quote, really? as we would do any year, we are going to definitely reevaluate field criteria. We would any year, we will take a look at what the landscape looks like. That, of course, is exactly what the USGA eventually did when they announced their field criteria on February 9th for this year's U.S. Open. They included a subtle but notable change that players not just had to qualify for the 2022 Tour Championship to be exempt from the U.S. Open. They also had to be eligible. Taylor Gooch, of course, was not after he bolted for Live Golf and was suspended indefinitely by the PJ Tour. The Masters has made a similar tweak for the 2024 tournament. And yet, Phil Mickelson said that this is an example of the USGA, quote, colluding with the established tours and called Mike Wan's decision a, quote, um, something move. How would I even, how would I? Uh, you can say that move. anatomically correct version. Yes. Just go with that. Yes. The, he called it a well, penis move. There, there you go. Like that's yes. acceptable on podcast radio. Okay, perfect. Is Phil fair or out of bounds in his critique of Mike Wan and company? Uh, way out of bounds. Uh, I, we have a colleague, and I don't want to throw that colleague under the bus, but I, a lot of conversations this week about the idea, because the colleague was leaning in on the idea that the USGA should not have sort of made this adjustment. And uh, I there's a couple of elements to this. First and foremost, had Taylor Gooch decided, again, this decision had been made. They had announced this change to the USGA qualification criteria in February. So this didn't sneak up 
on anyone. Taylor Gooch knew the situation. He also knew that he wasn't going to get any world ranking points for playing in live golf events. That's an entirely different conversation we can have some other day. Had he actually decided that, okay, the U.S. Open is very, very important to me, as most professional golfers at his level would make that choice, I'm at the very least going to sign up for qualifying. He would have been exempt into sectional qualifying. That's what everyone does. There are so many players in last week's field that are signed up for sectional qualifying. I'm going to my normal spot for golf's longest day in Springfield, Ohio. I believe you're going to the South Florida spot, which will be very, very entertaining. One of us, hopefully both of us. I get Tina. Who cries? I know. That's so wrong. That, that's so wrong. She has been my producer in Springfield for at least three years now. We have a magical relationship. We have turned that into one of the most enjoyable days of the year. And now you have stolen her from me. However, he did not sign up for qualifying. So whoever's going to make the argument, Phil Mickelson included, that, okay, he should have a spot into the U.S. Open because of this criteria and because the USGA decided to change it, it's a really, really bad ally. Because you can't argue that it's important to him they should do this. If he chose that, no, I, I don't want to qualify. I'd rather not do 36 holes in a day. I'd rather not do 36 holes in a day, but I'm not Taylor Gooch. I don't even think, in this particular case, in this particular case, I feel <laughs> you could not. No, you're such an old man. Uh, in this particular case, it, it's just showing that they have an expectation that's just not reasonable. And I think all of them, Taylor Gooch being the most extreme in this particular case, you're talking about a player who has publicly on numerous occasions said he felt like he could play one live golf event and then come back to the PGA tour. Have no idea how he came to that realization because the tour and Jay Monahan could not have been more transparent on this, that if you go and play live, that you're not going to be allowed to come back. He has done this now on numerous occasions. And I just feel like Phil using this as sort of that lightning rod to start the conversation is going down the wrong. It, it, it's a straw man conversation. here. I, I just don't see how he can do it. And the biggest part here, again, in February, they changed the rule. No one seemed to scream about it then. In April, the Masters because, changed their Because rule. they weren't paying attention. Because they weren't, paying, they weren't attention. paying attention. Again, they're professional golfers. I'm used to them not paying attention to these types of things. But if you're going to make the argument now, the way Phil is making it, as passionately, and it is vulgar, but I'll let it go. You cleaned it up. Thank you very much. No one screamed about it last, last month when the Masters did it. But now that Taylor Gooch has won back-to-back live golf events, and he's going to fall outside the top 50 in the world, and he's not qualified for the Open, this this just seems to need such a recency bias. Like you were just being a prisoner the of the moment. fine print. Read the fine print. Yeah. They, they, have, they haven't done it. And I think this, this predicament that Taylor Gooch finds himself in, and look, he, 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 he very well could go back to back to back on the live circuit. Like they're playing this week in Tulsa. Obviously Taylor Gooch is from Oklahoma. Like it is not out of the realm of possibilities that he can win once again. He's clearly playing some good golf. He can still get his, get inside the top 60 with a good week at the PJ championship. Right now he's 63rd in the world. Um, obviously the projections will come out next week as to what he needs to do in order to crack the top 60. Obviously it depends on what the other players do who are in that position. And then there's another OWGR cutoff following the PGA. So like there is that Avenue to get in uh, absent a special invitation, which it, it appears that he is not going to receive uh, because that is entirely unrealistic. But I think his, his predicament Rex is further proof that like these live guys, they're, they're finding themselves on an Island and it's becoming apparent to them that, that there's very few people who are actually going to answer like their desperate cries for help. Like you think to 
the world ranking. And last summer they were, they were crying that the, the OWGR is going to take their sweet time and that this thing needs to be expedited. Well, that's clearly not going to be the case. They're clearly going to take their time and a decision is not expected until later this year. Just so that obviously didn't go their way. The arbitration panel sided with the DP world tour and it's ongoing fight against live players and able to with uh, able to uphold the sanctions against those players. We're going to get into that the in just a second. The temporary restraining order. The, the judge for the temporary restraining order for the FedEx cup playoffs. And now the majors, at least right now are not tripping over themselves to exempt these live players who have helped fracture uh, the professional landscape at the very top level. That may change in the future, right? Like it may become apparent that the world rankings are no longer the greatest indication uh, of who's playing the best golf. They may have to go to some sort of point standings or eligibility list that way to complete these major fields. But right now, majors, Mike Wan, Martin Slumbers, et cetera, are not going out of their way to bring these players into the fields. I, I think it's just becoming apparent to Phil Taylor, Lee Westwood, and the like uh, that that is, that is being the case. Uh, and that's a very difficult pill for them to swallow. Well, and I will say the other side of this, just, just because I don't want the bots to come after me. And I'm, I'm so tired of the bots coming after me on this one, because uh, there is another side of this conversation. And I wrote about it last week that in using Taylor Gooch as an example, there is going to come a time that the further we get down the road on this one, that there is going to be a top player that we can all agree is a top player, whether that's Taylor Gooch or, or Cam Smith or even Dustin Johnson, although he's qualified for the foreseeable future for most majors. They're not going to get into a major, and that's going to be a problem. And that's going to have to lead to a broader conversation about, I know that Live Golf is not going to be worked into the ecosystem anytime soon. However, if we get to the point where we can all agree that if Dustin Johnson or Cam Smith isn't at the Masters, again, Dustin is a lifetime exempt, but you get the idea. If someone's not at one of these majors, and we can all agree that they should probably be here, like this is a top five player in the world, we're going to have to figure out a way. And I think you and I talked about this last week, whether it's a top two off the live golf points list, whatever it is they use, the money list, whatever it is they use, whether if they start getting world ranking points, whatever the case may be, I am, I will come in on that side of the conversation. I don't want to live in an echo chamber here. I actually have, I, I have no problem. I have no yeah. problem if, if they have a top five, top 10 live qualifiers based on how they play. So if Peter Uline and Charles Howell, the third Dean yeah. Burmester, like wh- whoever is playing the best golf on live, meets that cutoff deadline they should get into the field it's it's no different than dp world tour it's no different than the australasian tour japan tour any of the other uh kind of smaller uh tour exemptions that they have in the major championships i don't see why live would be any different but that needs to begin in 2024 not this year with these special exemptions and it probably won't begin in 2024 this is probably a conversation that you're going to have to have and, and look there's too many raw nerves so it's right already now. not happened for the masters right like they've already announced yeah, yeah. The qualification there's too many right raw there. nerves there's there's we're digging in on the sides and phil's only making that worse like this is a terrible conversation to have at this point because uh, phil seems to be the only person that seen in the bots seem to be the only people who are willing to say taylor gooch 100 should be at lacc no he shouldn't. If he really wanted to be there, he should have signed up for qualifying. And if he was really worried about it, he should have started this conversation back in February when the USGA announced the criteria. That is not the conversation we should be having. Going forward, it's how do we figure out a way to make sure that we have the best players in the world at these majors? That's the conversation. Yeah, I think I don't think it's unrealistic to have a top 50 FedEx Cup thing, have a top 10 live top five DP World Tour, whatever the case may be. That's how I think they're just going to need to be a little bit more creative when it comes to qualify, qualification criteria for major championships and not just rely on what they have done 
for years. I see the sausage finger. Go ahead. Uh, well, no, because this did lead to a larger conversation. And again, this is probably coming from the bot. So, and I, I might have gotten fooled by the internet on this one. But there was a headline of Phil, of Phil using, uh, and, and it came from a website. And I don't want to throw that website under the bus, but it's a it's a it's a well known golf website. And it was Phil using that quote, saying that it, saying that Wands was a blank move, and, and we've already established that. And the headline was something along the lines of Phil goes on vulgar rant. And then the other was another headline. I think it might have been Rory uh, using another vulgar word, we can say. And the headline was much more supportive of whatever Rory had said. And in this particular case, I think what the bot or you know maybe it was Greg Dorman, whoever it was, was pointing out that there does seem to be sort of in the, in the golf media, it, there does seem to be everyone has taken sides. And whether if you're on the PGA Tour side or whether if you're on the live golf side, that to me is a larger conversation because there does seem to be a very, very, there's a huge gulf in how many people are covering this story. Uh, that's interesting because I just received a tweet from uh, at artist golfer, John, who said, at least Ryan Lavender is not sugarcoating it. I give him that much. Honesty goes a long way. Thank you uh, at artist golfer, John. Uh, I, I tend to hold myself up as the paradigm of fair sure, uh, sure, sure. and impartial coverage uh, another piece of the story rex uh, as it relates to live golf fighting against the establishment was the fact that sergio garcia lee westwood ian poulter and richard bland all decided to resign uh their membership from the dp world tour because of upcoming sanctions that means those players are ineligible for this year's Ryder cup that's one conversation and secondly uh would now be uh, ineligible to captain a future Ryder cup squad is the event poor overall the Ryder Cup for not having these legendary figures play a role? Yes. I mean, point blank. I asked Roy about it on Thursday. I think he used the word shame. It's a shame. And I think he used it four times <laughs> in the three paragraphs that he gave me after that. And it, it is only because and, and look, this is, just shows you the disconnect that we have in the world of golf right now that you can be on one side or the other. But I think we can all recognize the idea that what those specifically three out of the four, nothing against Richard Bland, but you look at what Ian, Sergio and Lee have meant to the Ryder Cup. They should have been a part of this event going into the future for decades. I mean, either as captains, I think their time as players had pretty much passed, maybe not for Sergio, but certainly as captains, as vice captains, whatever the case may be, they were going to be part of what you and I have talked about, Paul, talk with Paul McGinley about this, about what makes the European team special is because they hold everything together better than they do in the future. I actually talked to two live players, two Europeans who haven't turned down their membership yet, but the idea is that both of them told me they probably will. And the idea being They're that facing they million dollar or million pound depends. We, we won't know that until this week. I mean, the, the European tour is still deciding how they're going to handle it because keep in mind these fines that they handed down last week, 100,000 pound fines that essentially was just for the first event in London last year. Because the, when, the way the court stepped in in the UK, everything stopped at that point as far as legal proceedings, as far as fines, as far as punishments go. And so now the European tour, Keith Pelly, have to figure out, OK, how are we going to, to deal with this? And as one of those players that I talked to pointed out, I played in 14 live events since then. So is it going to be 1.4 million euros? And if that's the case, then you're effectively banning me for life because I'm not going to pay that fine. I'm just going to, to step down my membership. I find it sad. I'll use Rory's word here a shame because i felt like after the arbitration hearing ruling last month during the masters 
that that there was, opened a, the there was an opportunity for some yes. sort of reconciliation, some sort of compromise. You could have created a bridge. And look, not, you yeah. could have the European tour could have created a bridge that benefited them. They could have leaned in hard on the negotiation and said, yes, you can be part of our ecosystem. We will give you 14 conflicting event releases to go play all of your live events, but you're going to be beholden to us to play X number of, of our events, and they have to be these events. So take a player like Lee Westwood. If you really want to do both, if you want to stay in the conversation and be part of the Ryder Cup going forward, then we need you to play the Irish Open. We need you to play the BMW PGA. We need you, whatever the case may be, you could have leveraged this conversation to your benefit and kept these players engaged. And I do think it's sad that they're not. Uh, I would agree with that. Back to my original question, is the event poor? I would say in the uh, yeah. short term, no. Yeah. No, no you, 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 in, in the short term, no. Like Westwood, Poulter, uh, Sergio, obviously Richard Bland, we're, we're not going to be a part of this year's squad. I think it was probably past due anyway for a turning of the page as it relates to the European long term. Yeah, like I think it's beyond strange, bizarre, uh, a shame, sad that uh, three of the most legendary figures, players whose entire careers were built around the Ryder Cup, would not be a part of it in some way. I do think this is kind of a for now situation. Like I think we should wait and see what the landscape looks like Maybe. the next time the Ryder Cup rolls around to Beth Page in 2025. There certainly could be some sort of compromise, some sort of peace talks between these two warring sides that could eventually bring them back into the fold. Who knows if Live Golf will even be around, you know, in two years' time. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say forever they will not be a part of Ryder Cup Europe. It just appears uh, does not uh, it does not appear to be imminent uh, that they can be brought back in the fold. But I do think that's a shame long term for uh, the event. Well, and I, but to correct you, I will say that turning down their membership, which they have done, that that is a life sentence in in, in certain respects. They, they can always cannot get it back. turn down. Can always well, get it back. Well, no, but the way the rules are written right now, that they would not be going forward. You're right. The rules could always be rewritten, and you would like to think that they. Were that's what I'm down. saying. I'm saying I would throw it out there. The rules can be rewritten. Lee Westwood is a uh, lifetime member of the European Tour. Well, not anymore. He has turned down his membership, so he's not a lifetime member. However, that so could if, be, that if there is a gap in your membership, this happened a few years ago with Rory. If there is a gap in your membership, and they rewrote the, the rules for specifically for Rory, but if there's a, as it's written right now, if there's a gap in your membership, you can't be correct. A European I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm saying the rules certainly can be rewritten if there I, is a compromise between the two warring sides that, that's the and i'll, I'll take it a step further you're, you're right those three and i immediately think of a graham mcdowell because again he, he does kimer 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 you, you know yeah i mean you go back to medina and kimer um they they their def- careers weren't defined by the Ryder cup it's certainly it was a huge part of their career well in stinson was a captain already for five minutes and, and that's another <laughs> sad conversation i just think it, this has put that particular event i i had one european player tell me that paris was probably the high watermark going forward for the Ryder Cup. And that makes me sad because you and I both look forward to this event the day it's over. I mean, it's very rare when we get done after a long, hard week and be like, man, I can't wait for two years to go to Rome. That's going to be unbelievable. It's I mean, the it, best event on the sporting calendar for golf. No doubt about and it. And I just, it, and it transcends golf. I, I would say it's among the best events in all of sports, what it's become. You go to Paris, certainly you go to Whistling Straits. And I think Rome is probably going to be something similar. I hate to think that it's never going to be as good as it was in Paris. That that does make me sad. Can you imagine the group chat that they're going to have this year between Westwood, Sergio, uh, Poulter, 
uh, Stenson, who obviously was the captain and had that strip from him. Like the group chat, can you imagine the tweets that are going to be happening, kind of no. questioning Luke Donald's decisions, criticizing some of the players for their performance? I, I, I still think, I still think Europe has a very good chance of winning this Ryder Cup. Adrian Moronk, uh, kind of this upcoming uh, big man from Poland, like he just won at Marco Simone. Uh, last week for the Italian Open. Obviously, it did not have the strongest field because a lot of players uh, who would be on that European team were playing at Quell Hollow for the Wells Fargo Championship. But man, their, their eight or nine players are looking very strong. And if Luke Donald can select kind of some informed newcomers to round out that team, like it's, it's going to be very interesting. Like I, I don't think it's an American slam dunk by any stretch of the imagination. I, I think you mispronounced that. Mark Schleyball pronounces it Mark Simon. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. Oh, Mark <laughs> Simon. <laughs> Our friend oh, at ESPN, Mark Schleyball, he's a brilliant football writer. He's turning out to be a very, very good golf writer. Mark Simon. Nope. Uh, he also Simon. he also described her as Kelly Norda. Uh, but that is uh, <laughs> that's a comment for another podcast. Rex, this is the last time we will be potting Seamus before Power. we make our way to Rochester for the PGA Championship and what is a rare home game for me. We have several days before we get there. What are you throwing on the grill? Uh, I haven't been home for a week. Tonight I'm going to do wings because I just love doing wings on the pit barrel. And I haven't thought about this weekend. Uh, I have the other half of the, uh, the pork butt that I can uh, – we, we talked about this. I'm cutting the pork butt in half now only because – they just don't eat it all. If I make the whole pork butt, no one, it just goes to waste. So I've done them in halves. Uh, typically, I wouldn't have to remind someone of this, but uh, this weekend is Mother's Day. Uh, so I'm sure you have something very special planned. Did you think I forgot that? Mate who was still on the DL. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be the first time uh, you have forgotten that. So I'm actually not cooking this weekend. We're going to something called... Um, we're going to something called Asado Life Rex in St. Augustine on Saturday, day before Mother's Day. We're doing Asado-style whole lamb and pig roast, uh, which sounds absolutely wonderful. Never been to one uh, before, so we're doing. I'm we're having someone else do uh, the hard part. Uh, that should be great, along with a head spa. Got my wife a head spa. You ever heard of that? You just get a, like a head massage for ninety minutes. Yeah. No, apparently, apparently it's life changing. So, so it's quite a uh, Saturday that my wife has planned before Mother's Day, and then we'll just like go to the water park or whatever. But in I'm my sure defense, Mark Mick will not be here. She'll be in New Orleans for Mother's Day, so it's not something I need to worry about. But uh, she's still dealing with the broken shoulder. Woo! <laughs> Thank you. I'm done. Done and dusted. So it'll just be me and the boys here at the house. So uh, we'll we'll celebrate Mother's Day the way we always do with beer and barbecue. No better way to celebrate Mother's Day when, than without the actual mother. In the house. Shout out, Bunkmate. Hope you were uh, recovering well. Look forward to doing this in person, Rex, next week at the PJ Championship. We will spare you and not do it from my father's uh, house in Fairport, just a couple miles away uh, from Oak Hill. We will do it on site at the tournament venue. Can't wait to get up there. We'll be giving you guys live reports live from golfchannel.com, the whole shebang, as well as mini pods. Mini pods. Of course, we'll Every be day. doing the mini pods post tournament. Rounds in between Rex's uh, live from PJ Championship hits. So, thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab. Make sure you check us out on Golf Today on Wednesday when we run through our top five favorites, PJ Championship. Mm-hmm.